Hey, wherever you may be around the world, and thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letter you.org. It's time for gleanings from Genesis. Joining me, of course, is my very good friend, Ross Nichols. G'day, mate. Hey, how are you, Joan? Oh, it's good to be here with you again. I like these shows, man. This is getting exciting. This is this is great. We're having fun already, and we've only just started recording. Gleanings from Genesis discussing the new translation entitled The Transparent English Bible, T-E-B, of which the book of Genesis is now available. You can get a copy from Amazon. And joining us, of course, is the editor-in-chief, professor of ancient Judaism and early Christianity at the University of North Carolina, the president of United Israel. Welcome back to Truth To You, Dr. James Tabor. Thank you, Jono. Thank you, Ross. I'm really excited to dive in this evening. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Listen, last week we discussed the first page of the TEB's Book of Genesis. That page, if you have not yet received your copy, dear listeners, is included in the post of last week's podcast, uh, including the adjoining notes and the reader's guide. So if you're still waiting for your copy, it's okay. Use your favorite translation until it arrives. If you haven't ordered it yet, um, your copy of Dr. James Table's book of Genesis from the Transparent English Bible, you can pause this podcast right now and order the Kindle version and you're ready to go. I've noticed that quite a few people are receiving their printed copies because people are posting about it and... Uh, so, so it looks like they're coming in. That shows good sign that everything's properly flowing from Amazon's end. And uh, so it looks like quite a few people are picking it up. So that's great. A lot of people. I'm noticing that on Facebook, including Miriam uh, Cormier. G'day, Miriam. Uh, she posted on the United Israel Facebook group and she said, So happy I got my book of Genesis, a new translation by James Tabor today. Hers has arrived just in time, she said, for the blog on Thursday, along with Ross Nichols and John Ovandor. You don't want to miss the third teaching, so tune in. Well, here we are, Miriam, and thank you for tuning in. Let me, let yep. me jump in. Let me jump in real quickly because uh, James and I both know Miriam. She's uh, a, a good friend of United Israel and she's very active, not only every Saturday, but we see her all the time time and she always has such encouraging um comments so we appreciate you hello miriam hello miriam really good to hear from you duan said this translation is bringing life breath to the words i I like that oh here's someone from louisiana quick ross okay um paul paul dirks paul dirks he had some uh, letters after his name o-b-l-s-b i had to look that up and it means an oblate of saint benedict there you go huh he's He's in okay. Louisiana. He commented saying uh, the following, So far enjoying the series, he said, we use, quote, When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was shapeless, a shapeless chaotic mass with the spirit of God brooding over the dark vapors, end quote. That's interesting. For the beginning of mm-hmm. Genesis, he says. Uh, he goes on to say, we also use the phrasing in the JPS. This works well for college-educated ed- Christians, Catholics, with a scientific background. He continued saying, I relate this beginning of Genesis to the Big Bang Theory of the creation of the universe. I maintain that when God began to create, God and chaos were already present. Where God and chaos, in brackets he has evil, uh, came from is unknowable to, un- unknowable to us creatures of the Big Bang. There was a program running in the background when God began to create. That's that's his view. It was an interesting discussion that we had last Last week regarding is this actually describing the beginning of the universe or is this actually describing the beginning of life on earth if you like creation upon the earth and i think the latter is what the teb brings out is that is that right james that's right and what actually some of uh, what uh, paul says uh, could actually fit into this translation because the main thing is that you realize that The first word is not in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period, but when he began. 
Um, mm-hmm. And many translations bring that out. And that's because that first word is in the state, we call it, a construct state, uh, not absolute, which is the other. And most scholars know that it's in the footnotes of the RSV and so forth. But what's nice about this translation is what you want to have in any translation, not only on this passage, but all the passages we're going to go through, is the most literal version you can have that still makes sense. And then you can talk about how, what that means and what that, what, how to interpret it, mm. as opposed to the translation interpreting it, which closes off then your opportunity to say, well, what was that? What mm. did that mean when God began? And actually, when you first read uh, what he said, uh, his paraphrase, I thought it fit well with the literal. You know, it, it's sort of like building off the literal. So right. Right. I, I think any number of interpretations can fit, but let's get the grammar right so that mm-hmm. we're building on the framework of the literal as we come up with our understanding of what it means. And and speaking of which, uh, Jonathan Gaskell wrote to us again. Uh, G'day, Jonathan. And and I just want to read this because it's great. He said, I'm very much enjoying this series. I remember years ago when I first read a sample of Dr. Table's translation of Genesis, I was surprised to see how a description of an expanse being created with waters above it and waters below it, uh, the visual which that created in my mind was a layer of water hovering above the sky, uh, as in, you know, not the clouds, but actually above the clouds, uh, which then made me wonder if this was the same water that would fall to the earth during the time of Noah, along with the waters that were rising up from the ground. Regardless of the legitimacy of this thought, he writes, I love how Dr. Table's translation really helps readers think outside the box and allow the transparent uh, scriptures to speak truths directly to the hearts without the filter of pre-existing notions getting in the way. Excited to hear more as this series continues. I think he puts that well. I think so as well. I do too. Jonathan's a great uh, uh, correspondent with me and Mm-hmm. always has very helpful comments. All right. Now, one more comment, uh, and this is actually a question. This is Steve Hood uh, commented, asking the following question. I'd be interested in your understanding of what the parallels of days one to three and four to six Tell us about the creation of light and day-night separation. The suggestion I've heard is that day one consists of creating time, as in the basic unit of day and night, a calendar date, I suppose, is what, he's, what he means. Then time is populated with years and seasons via inhabitants in the fourth day, uh, in the same way as days five and six get inhabitants for the sea and the sky and land. That's an interesting, I've never really thought about it, that way before we'll be getting hopefully we'll be getting into day four today because we're talking about a point of times and we've got the holidays coming up let me let me say joe on that um for the translation itself all those things are left open but one thing you do when you translate is there is structure that you do notice so Mm -hmm. if you notice day one is light and day four is lights plural Mm, yep day two is sky and day five you see what i'm doing jumping two to five is fish and birds and particularly the birds in the sky with the waters above and below so the waters of below are fish the waters above and day three is land and plants uh land and the plant and then day six is land animals and humans and then the sabbath 
So you can see that sort of it's sort of symmetrical sequence, yeah, back and forth uh-huh. in, uh, as a design. Now, what those would translate into in terms of science, just as Paul asked, you know, is it Big Bang? Is it this? Is it that? We want to give you the translation that would allow you to make the best judgments on that. Right. But in terms of just you know, like interpreting it, like is this this, and what is light? So at this point, I'd rather, you know, at least I don't have any more expertise in science than anyone, but I, I, you know, I'm curious about it. But I'm going to stay as much as I can with what does the text say rather than what does it mean, if you see my difference there. there yeah, and there is a difference. Well, before we get into uh, what does it say, because we're going to continue on from first nine in the first chapter, uh, you had some things to add. James, before we jump into the text. Yeah, just two quick things. Uh, I want to honor someone. Uh, her name is Julia Smith. Uh, you won't be able to hear from her because she was born uh, in the 1700s. But she was the first woman uh, in the 1850s to ever translate the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. And she has such an interesting history. I'm going to put something on my blog uh, before the next broadcast, and we can refer back to it. But I kind of want to get people to anticipate. She was a Millerite. Remember William Miller in oh, 1930? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was so disappointed. She waited. She had her ascension robes. And then she said, you know, it, we were wrong, and I'm going to go translate the Bible, a woman. She's going to go translate the Bible and do it literally. So she was the first one who came up with this literal idea. Right, and she, really? She learned Hebrew. She already knew Greek just from her college. She learned Hebrew. And boy, was she literal. Uh, Ross and I have a copy of her translation, but I'll give you an example because it gets into how we translate. For example, when you talk about the apple of the eye, as we're going to see Psalms later, and, and it is the pupil of the eye, but literally in Hebrew, it's the pupil of the daughter of the eye. Mm. Huh. Raises the question of how literal, and as I'll illustrate this in Genesis too, but by the lip of a river, I'm okay with the lip of a river. You yeah. can say, but look, it uses lip. So, my basic, I just wanted to use her to illustrate this that my basic idea is if an idiom could mean something in English, try to preserve it in the text. And if it's a little difficult, like pupil of the daughter of the eye, that's, that's a little tough. I still put it in the footnotes. You follow? So we always get a really literal. Now, what I don't do that she does is she even wants to do the order, and it gets too much like an interlinear. A lot of our listeners have interlinear Bibles. So remember when God uh, talks to Abraham about uh, killing Isaac as a sacrifice? Uh, She has it as, behold, here I... That's literally yeah. what you hold, here I. Uh, and she doesn't even put M, and I put M in italics. So we'll see that, but I just, I love her. I love that she, she's just amazing. She got very fluent in Hebrew. She must have been a genius. And she said, but I want to read you what she said, because I think we all feel this tonight. Here's what she wrote. This was in the 1850s. <laughs> it's very possible that the readers of the book might think it strange. It seems the original Hebrew does not follow the thinking of men. I think their promiscuous use of other translations 
we must search out. And so her mm. idea was, I want to know what it really says. And her translation is pretty good. Uh, I didn't use it. I didn't look at Fox. I didn't look at Alter. I didn't look at Friedman purposely. Believe it or not, I've only opened Fox once. As soon as I opened it, I closed it and said, nope, because I didn't want to copy them. Mm-hmm. Now, finished Genesis, I've looked back and I thought, wow, we have a lot of the same ideas. And yet mm-hmm. also some differences. So uh, anyway, I wanted to just remember her. Mm. And uh, oh, also I put, up, I put up a blog post just today, jamestabor.com. I uh, want to always push the things we're doing. Easy to remember. And it's on how absolutely strange, and we'll get to it, believe me. When we get to it, Ross and I'll probably need to do a week or two on Genesis 18. <laughs> because we've got these walking, talking, eating, drinking Jehovah's that show up, uh, or singular, these three men that come up and one's Jehovah. Look, we, we translate that very literally. So if you want to peek ahead, you can see what I said. But I just did that to whet people's appetite. It's where we're headed, basically. But I'm ready to get back to chapter one. Here we let are let me jump Russ. in one second. One, one second, just because uh, James mentioned Everett Fox's translation. Uh, there is a, a, a comment in the translator's preface that I think is interesting, and it relates, even though Fox used it, it also relates to our approach as James translated in the Transparent English Bible. And it says this. Now, this is adapted from a lecture of Martin Buber in 1926. It says, read the Bible as though it were something entirely unfamiliar as though it had not been set before you ready-made. Face the book with a new attitude as something new. Let whatever happen occur between yourself and it. You do not know which of its sayings and images will overwhelm and mold you, but hold yourself open. Don't believe anything a priori. Do not disbelieve anything a priori. Read aloud the words written in the book in front of you, Hear the word you utter and let it reach you. And I love that because it it relates to the same thing that we're talking about, whether it's uh, this translation that James referenced from the 1800s. It's, it's the idea that you're looking at something, even though it's something we know the stories, but it's looking at it fresh. And I think that's one of the biggest appeals of this particular translation. So I'm ready. Let's do well, chapter that, one. Ross. Because I, Martin Buber, for me, is the pioneer. Of course, he translated into German, but I have his German translation. And he's the one who first, knowing Hebrew so well, who began to pioneer this way that Robert Alter and Friedman and Fox and others have uh, followed that same path. And I would be honored to be on that path with them because these are giants that we're talking about here. Verse 9 is where we are. Uh, And what I might do, if it's okay with you guys, I might just read through the third day and then we'll go back. Is that good? That's perfect, Jono. And and let me tell you why. Because if you can read the third day, that's contained between the white spaces that are brought out in this Mm -hmm. translation. So you're going to... You're going to mark that, and then we'll talk about it. So I think that's great. And Elohim said, Let the waters under the skies be gathered toward one place, and let the dry land be seen. And it was thus. And Elohim called to the dry land, land, and to the collection of waters he called seas. 
And Elohim saw that it was good. And Elohim said, Let the land sprout the sprout, a plant seeding seed, a fruit tree making fruit according to its type, its seed within it upon the land. And it was thus. And the land made the sprout go out, a plant seeding seed according to its type, and a tree making fruit, its seed within it according to its type. And Elohim saw that it was good, and it was evening, and it was morning a third day. James. I love it. <laughs> well, the hey, word John that stands a good out, he's a great reader. The, <laughs> Thanks, the word that stands out uh, is land. And please notice, if you have the translation, and maybe we can put up a little more for people uh, while they're getting it, Um, In verse 9 that you just read, let the waters under the skies be gathered toward one place. Uh, And by the way, I put toward because of the direction. So it's very literal. And notice uh, the italics, Jeno, and let the dry be seen. You can Mm -hmm. read it without the italics. I followed the old King James uh, uh, practice. It goes all the way back Mm -hmm. uh, to the 17th century. And that is... Hebrew has to be supplemented. We know it's dry land, but literally it's let the dry be seen. And it was mm-hmm. thus. And Elohim called to the dry land. See? But right. I put mm-hmm. italics so you would know and not go, the dry what? It's understood. <laughs> However, let me go back a little and talk about verse 2, which relates to this. Why didn't I say the earth? Okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth. Everybody knows that. Why did I say the land and the skies? Well, skies, verse 1, a lot of people use skies. I remember Friedman uses the skies. Some others do. Because you're talking about that dome that you see when you look up into the sky. And it's plural. And there's water up there. So we're not talking about the planets and the sun and the solar system and the galaxies. We're talking about the sky. But land Think of Abraham. Leave your country and your kindred to a earth that I will show you. What is he going to do? Intergalactic space travel? (laughs) Uh, There is a word for ground. We'll get to it in a minute. Adama basically means red dirt. That's what Adam's made out of red dirt. He could call him Red for short, Jono. That would be his nickname. Mm -hmm. Hey, Red. (laughs) Sounds like an Aussie thing to do. Yeah, (laughs) That's right. But land, it won't always work because just like in English, I can say, hey, Ross, look at this good earth that I just picked up with my hand. That is that soil that is so rich. You see, so you've got soil, yeah. you've got earth, you've got ground. Context determines it. But because of how we translated verse 1 and 2, what we're getting here in verse 9, do you see, is in the beginning when he first began to work on the land— it wasn't even seen. It was covered, right? It was chaotic, covered yeah. with water. But now I say, let's see that land. The land's under there. You've seen some of the maps that National Geographic has done under the sea. There are mountains mm. and all kinds of land bridges. Did you know there are continents under the sea? But they're not showing because they're underwater. Right. And so these continents begin to rise up, and some think that Africa and South America, you know, fit right into each other in the New World, and that seems to be geologically pretty well uh, established. So we don't know exactly what this land mass looked at, looked like, excuse me, at that time. Some people think it was one single land mass, right? It might have been, but I wanted to explain that about land. So even though I think Earth is misleading in this context, 
text. You understand? Right. The yeah. land makes more sense. Uh, but I absolutely love this little, uh, we call it in, in uh, scholars call this a little pericope. A pericope, just teach you a, a word there. Pericope means a, a little slice or a little portion of text with the white spaces. So I love this little section because if you begin to look at the words, as we just saw, let the land sprout the sprout. Don't you love that? And sort yeah. of saying, let the land bring forth plants. It's the land sprouts the sprout. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then seeding seed. And what is the tree? What does the fruit tree do? It makes fruit, you see. Now I could say or, bearing, bearing. Yeah, no, it's just I was just going to say that you have also in the notes or doing fruit, which which I also right. like. It's asa to do. So mm-hmm. it's like, what do you do? I do fruit. Oh, you do fruit. You see. Mm-hmm. So you, I bear fruit. But the problem with English, I mean, it's a gift. It's a wonderful thing that English has thirty to forty words for every concept. Because we've amalgamated so many languages. So people with these large vocabularies like Shakespeare, you know, how many words are there for to bear, to yield, to bring forth? Hebrew just has one, generally, you know, just one term, two at the most. So if you can, it's more primitive, but I also like its uh, consistency. So, uh, as you said, let's make some fruit. (laughs) And then the land makes the sprout go out. I love that, go out. And it's, you see the little C there? The mm-hmm. little C over the word out? That means that it's in the causative mode of the hyphial. Right. So it's actually, the land is causing the sprout to go out. Now, maybe Paul or another reader could even get something biological out of that. You know, we just say, let the land bring forth a sprout, bring forth. But this actually says, and the land made the sprout go out. Isn't that interesting? Because it's the land that caused it to go out. So when you plant a seed, what actually causes the sprout of the seed is because it's got to be warmed and nourished by the land somehow. So it's just, I guess, the I really love the literal for day three. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and one other thing, it's it's like the it's it's almost it could be read that the land contains within it the sprout which is going to cause you know in other words let the land sprout the sprout. It's almost as if when the the land is uh, it it appears or when it's caused to be seen, it has within it everything it needs, just like the tree making fruit has uh, fruit within it because the seed is there from the start. So it's just kind of an interesting way to think about it. It's almost like saying, you know, land, you can walk on land, okay, and land holds us up. It's our solid earth beneath our feet. But when you really ask, what is land for? What is land for? Mm. You know, as we translate it, well, what is it for? Do you want a dry, barren land with no water and no vegetation? Well, you could still walk on it, but that's not what land is for. What land is for is to bring forth vegetation. That's what Mm -hmm. land does. And we, as everybody knows, I think most people know from biology class, we would not be here if the land didn't bring forth vegetation. Because we would have no oxygen within just a very short time. The animals would consume all the oxygen, breathe out the carbon dioxide. We all had to learn the little formula in biology class about C6, H6, O6, and what photosynthesis is, right? 
And we had to do that in our math classes. And yet here it is right here in Genesis. The land is for dwelling, but also it's your survival mechanism. It is your survival mechanism. And we're going to see in a minute that it's the plant that gives the food, not the animals. Vegetarianism. Sorry, folks, mm-hmm. we're getting to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So before we before we get into that, I, I just Jonah's want to tell you this because meat eater, so I have to drill him up. Because <laughs> I'm going to try do. to get him back to Eden within the next few weeks. <laughs> okay. And go the ahead, land John. made sprout go out, and I I really love that because as I was mentioning uh, off air just before, it's spring here, and uh, every day I go out to my garden and I I look because I love this. I look to and good to Patty and Bridget, uh, who who take photos yeah. of the vegetable garden and and uh, put it on Facebook, and I I love those photos because I like to see how a, a, a veggie garden will progress, and that's going mm-hmm. on here right now. I've already got tomato seedlings coming up uh, here in Victoria. I'm waiting for my. Uh, uh, the radish and the lettuce, and the, I've just got so much in there at the moment, and I'm anticipating the land making the seeds sprout, and it's um, it's an exciting thing. And if you've never, dear listeners, if you've never had a, a even a small veggie garden, even a couple of pots of of soil with some seed in it, uh, just do it because you you become attached to it and it becomes exciting for you when you see the land doing what it's supposed to do, and you're a part of that as you tend it. It really is an exciting thing. Absolutely. Um, and I, I want to add uh, this about go ahead. The, we, we get used to things that we see and call natural. So we've got this silly word that's not occur in the Bible, supernatural. So, well, that's right. a seed sprouting. That's natural. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, what a, you know, take any plant. You just set a radish. That's mm-hmm. natural. Wait a minute now. What is it made out of? What is it? I know you got the seed to start it or the sprout because you got to have the DNA code. But what does the DNA code use? It uses water, right? It uses oxygen. Mm -hmm. So H2O water and the minerals of the soil. How Mm -hmm. could that turn in? I mean, I can hold some dirt in my hand. How could that turn into a radish with all the taste and color Mm. and take any flower? I look at my wife's orchids that are sitting in this dirt. And I go, how would you get the delicacy of an orchid out of dirt? say, oh, well. That's natural. What do you mean natural? Say, well, there's a DNA code. So because you've recognized, you've now explained it, of course, we are learning more and more and more about this. And so I would like to make the supernatural, the natural supernatural and the so-called supernatural natural, meaning everything is the wonder of creation. Yeah. And if we don't realize that every time we bite into a piece of fruit or eat yep. everything that we eat, yeah. and I love the Jewish prayer, who brings forth, who brings forth mm-hmm. a motze, lechem, mm-hmm. men ha'aretz. And we say from the earth, I'm going to start translating it from the land. Because I want right. to remember, it's not just from the earth in some vague way, planet earth. It's from the land. Yeah. That you just went out and got your nails dirty digging in, Bridget. That's it. If you're oh, listening. That's right. And Patty. <laughs> and, and, and think about this too, James. When you mention how incredible this is, when you really think about it, the Bible phrases it in such a way it says according to its type. I love the way that's worded because it's like if you plant a seed which will turn into a radish— that's quite complex, and yet, according to the biblical text, it, it encapsulates it 
with this, and we'll see this phrase throughout according to its type and its seed within it. And then as we work our way through a tree making fruit, its seed mm. within it. Those words are packed. Uh, I think it's quite incredible. It's it's something, it's a very simplistic way to define a very complex order of how things come into being. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, honestly, it's one of my favorite things is just to get out in the garden and look at the progress of, 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 of nature uh, at its appointed time. And my figs at the moment are just starting to come out. The leaves are coming out. The, the leaves are coming out on the grapevine. Um, the the uh, pomegranate that I have is just, it, it's looking so healthy. Really, really happy with my garden. Highly encourage people to get involved even in a small way just so you can see how things work. You, you, you won't regret it. Just one more thing before we move on. Uh, let the waters under the skies be gathered into one place and let the dry land be seen. Uh, and it was thus an Elohim called to the dry land. And I, I've i never thought about this until now, James. And of course, this is what the Transparent English Bible does, is it, it, it gives you information to consider that in areas that you've never considered before. And I thought, I've looked at the globe. I, I often, you know, we've got one of those, you know, globes and I, I often... Uh, just sort of consider it and I spin it around, have a look at this. And I've always looked at areas of water as places without land. But here, what we're looking at is that the land is in fact, it's the dry and the dry is an area without the water. It's just a different way of thinking about it. And it yes, uh, yes. gave me reason to pause. Now, Jono, One... you're, you're Jewish, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you aware that the first mention of mikvah is verse 10? Take a look. No, is that right? I didn't know that. Go ahead. What is collection of the waters? Why did oh, I translate course. it? Instead of gathering. What is a collection of waters? Take a look at the Hebrew. Right. It's. I'm looking at it right now. Mikveh. Mikveh. Mm, mikveh. Gathering. A reservoir. So right. it's actually now that the land has risen, we got this giant mikveh. And you can go to a river and, uh, you know, but uh, those of... You who are Jewish or interested in things Jewish, the mikvah is very important. And it's Mayim Kayim, we say. I love the alliteration, Mayim Kayim, living water, right? Breathing water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and But it has to be collected, you see. And if you have the collection of the waters, then you've got, uh, I guess you could say, a sea or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out as well, if you haven't nice. looked at the Hebrew lately. Yeah, one one more thing before we move to the next section, Jono, um, just to draw out something that's interesting about the third day. If you notice in the third day in verse 10, it says, and Elohim saw that it was good. And then in verse 12, and Elohim saw that it was good. Interestingly enough, in this uh, pericope that deals with the third day, it has, and Elohim saw that it was good twice. Now, if you yep. go back to day one um, in verse four, it says, and Elohim saw the light, that it was good. So you have day one, and it was good. Day three, or the third day, it mentions it was good twice. But the second day, now a lot of people have gone into some theological mode here to try to figure out why, but the second day doesn't mention, uh, doesn't mention and it was good. And then the third day has it twice. So what do we do with that? Interesting. Well, clearly what that means, Ross, is that God likes gardening. It could be. He likes it so well, it was good, it was good twice. Yep. Now, some some people say that, you know, maybe it's just the slip of a pen, but others find some interesting meaning. 
this translation is just giving you what the text says. So we let our listeners try to interpret why is that. Now, there it is. I reckon it's because God loves gardening so good that he mentioned it twice. He said it was good twice. Therefore, get into it, folks. Go and get some uh, soil and a couple of pots or, or plant a garden and, and watch it all happen because it really is a good thing. Verse 14. Now, we've got well, to do this. Know, because... it's, it's... Go ahead, James. Let me just say this, John. It's, it's usually one explanation. I'm, I, I'm going to try to stay away from interpretations, but... This is really a great point about the time we're going to count. If anybody wants to go ahead, they can go ahead and count. We got one day one, none day two, two day three, and you'll see how many there are uh, at the end. There's some symmetry. But actually, day two, if you look at it, you're you're making a separating between waters. Mm-hmm. And and you're naming that separation. Where So you could say, well, is that really bara? Or is that getting ready for bara? Meaning I've got to separate the waters in order for the land to appear. And then we can begin to talk about the dry land actually appearing. So I don't know. But, yeah, and, you know. and just to add one more point since you touched on it. If I'm not mistaken, I think I read that Rashi, uh, the great Jewish commentator, says that that's the reason for this where you have uh, the, um, it was good, mentioned in day three, after the waters have Mm -hmm. uh, drawn back and the dry land can be seen. He uses that idea that day uh, two, that's right, the second day, it's not completed until you get into the third day, therefore, so that's why. But that's what I think that's so. what Rashi that says. Works. Because that you sense. say, I want I gotta have dry land. I gotta have dry land where I can have the sprouts in the trees, right? How mm-hmm. do I get dry land? Well, first of all, I gotta take some of this water and it's gotta go up in the skies, and I'll leave some down below, and then I'll let the dry land appear, and then we can move on. Yeah. So that makes sense. I like Rashi's interpretation. I'm gonna start using that. There you, there you go. go. This weekend we are approaching uh, some appointed days. We have Yom Teruah coming up this weekend, and so it's yes, uh, appropriate yes. that we get into this. And this is verse 14. And Elohim said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the skies to separate between the day and between the night, and they will be for signs and for appointed times and for days and for years. And they will be for lights in the expanse of the skies to make light upon the land and it was thus. And Elohim made the two large lights, the light, the large light for rule by the day and the small light for rule by the night and the stars. And Elohim gave them in the expanse of the skies to make light upon the land and to rule in the day and in the night and to separate between the light and between the darkness. And Elohim saw that it was good and it was evening and it was morning a fourth day, James. Okay, of course, if you want to interpret then this is just full of all kinds of things, which we don't necessarily have to do. But let's start with translation. Um, When you say, let there be lights, just like let there be light, if you're looking from the standpoint of something on Earth, remember it was a water-covered, dark, chaotic, empty place when we start, right? So the first thing we do is we get light on the subject. Second thing we do separation of the waters third thing land then the land can produce 
the plant, the sprout, the tree. Now, some people would read this and say, and if, I mean, you could interpret this way, but they would say, oh, this is when the sun, moon, and stars were created on the third day. Talking about like our solar system. But if you look at it from the standpoint of, let me tell you what it was like when God began to create the land and the skies, as we first said, when he began to work on it mm -hmm. and bring forth something meaningful out of it. So one of the things that begins to appear on the earth is this regularity of what's called the, the times in uh, the seasons. Uh, many of our listeners know because they keep the feasts and so forth that are regulated by these things, that the moed or the moedim, the appointed times, uh, which is verse 14 that you read, uh, have to do with marking days and years and so forth. But the idea of verse 16, he made two great lights, a large light to rule the day. We call that the sun, of course, a small light to rule the night and the stars. Now, the King James said, and he made the stars also. Like you suddenly got galaxies being created in one verse. But if mm -hmm. you think of it more as what is appearing, you know, when you say, let there be lights. Okay, there's a light. It's really bright. We know now because the earth is going around the sun and rotating. And there's a light. It, it's a light for the night now it's penetrating and i i just i worked on this a long time verse 16 i decided just to put i didn't add any italics that he made the large light for rule of the day and the small light for rule of the night and the stars so the small light rules the night and the stars meaning that's when the stars also appear um again there could be many inter, is this the origin of the universe? Is this the Big Bang? Whatever. But what I like is to start with verse one and then talk about what I would progressively see as things begin to unfold and develop to the point that we see the earth today, you see. And one of the things that happens is we begin to see these uh, signs and seasons and days and years. And, you know, we know the months by the moon, right? And we know the years by the sun. And we know the days by the night and the day cycles and so forth. So this evening and morning seems to be there from day one, doesn't it? Verse five, evening and morning. But here it's signaling just like the fruit is to eat from the land and the sprouts and so forth to make it ready for humans to come. Well, this is giving us a regularity. Notice it uses the word rule, which implies regulation, order. So let's see if there's anything else in the translation. They're in the expanse of the skies. Well, that's how they look. If you, if I look up at the sun, it's, it's right up there, Jono. I'll point you mm -hmm. to it, right? It's not in outer space in a Milky Way galaxy. It's up there in the sky. And here comes the moon. Oh, it's rising above the earth, you see? So this is the human point of view or the humans aren't here yet, but they're going to be here pretty quick. And uh, who knows, maybe Adam and Eve are told, look, see that thing up there in the sky? That's going to that's gonna mark your days. See that thing at night? That's going to mark your moon, your uh, months. And by the way, uh, when we say new month, it's actually just the word new in Hebrew. It's not month. It's just the word new. And so really, it, it Probably, I think, and Ross, you can comment on this. You studied it. I think it means the new moon. And it's, mm -hmm. it's not the word month. It's the new. Right. So when Moses is told this moon, you know, this month, it's literally this new will be the beginning of the news for you. <laughs> 
Yep. Uh, is that right? Yep. That's right. Yeah, there's a separate word that's technically the word moon, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's tied to Yurok, which is, you know, you think of Jericho. That's uh, tied to the word moon. Moon but you're, Yeah, new. Yeah, new Vendel Jones told me once, and I'm sure he got it from the rabbis. Some of you all know Vendel Jones. Legendary character, I'll tell you. And I learned a lot from Vendel. Didn't agree with all of his archaeology. But Vendel, I said, Vendel, why is it called Jericho? You know, the city of the moon. Mm-hmm. And he said, because when you're standing at the Dead Sea on a clear night, and we three have all experienced this, the mm-hmm. water is a still mirror. There's not a single wave, not a single wave. And when the moon rises, you cannot tell is the reflection the moon or the thing in the sky. And they called it Moon City. Don't you like that? Right. Because it's right there on the shore of the Dead Sea. Moon City. So I want to go to Moon City as soon as I can. You guys want to go with me to Moon City? Absolutely. And we'll look at that moon. And notice he doesn't call it a moon. He calls it a a large light and a smaller light, right? They're and notice we're still, doing, we're still doing Elohim. We're still doing the force of all forces, singular, does this, does that, and does the other. And at the end, he sees that it's good. I love that phrase, don't you? Mm, I do. See, in, and in chapter, in verse 1, the first day, and God saw the light that it was good. And you picture somebody, if you're a craftsman, I bet we have people out there that work in wood or clay, or they build things, builders, make things, whatever you make. Isn't it great after you've shaped it and formed it, you look back and you go, man, that's good, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you did it. And that's the idea. One one other point that ties in with everything that James is saying in terms of, of the ordering of things is that a word occurs in each of these days that really indicates part of the process of what we call creation. And that's the word separate. You see it over and over. You saw it in the very in day one. You see that Elohim separated between the light and between the darkness. And then he names it. And then you go down and you look at uh, the second day and you look and you see. uh, And uh, let's see. Let there be a separating between waters to waters. And Elohim create, made the expanse, and he separated between waters and so forth. You get to the next day, and you, you have this idea of separation, and it's in every place. So a major part of this ordering involves separating things between this and between that so that you have distinction. And I think that's important to note as we work our way through. And what things are for? We're going to see later. He says, now all these plants I made, that's for you to eat. See? Right. And what are all the, what are these lights for and what are the stars for and so forth? Well, that's for appointed times, the Moadim, and days and years. And what is this for and what is that for? So you get that idea exactly. Uh, they're, they're being uh, appointed, separated, designated. I love the word designated. Mm-hmm. You know, this will be for this. And this will be for that. So I want to give the people a, uh, another experiment to do while we're doing this. Uh, on a clear night, on an, on, a, on an evening when the moon is not up uh, or the moon is dark and the, the, the stars are a little brighter, uh, you'll notice that when you – people often notice when they look directly at a star, it seems to disappear. And the reason for that is because our peripheral vision has better 
uh, is better equipped to take in light, and then you sort of see it out of the corner of your eye, and when you look at it, it's not—it's just not quite there. Uh, that's the reason why. But what uh, we did, uh, my son and I, William, a few weeks back, he, he came in and he said, Dad, the stars are just incredible uh, tonight. We went out. He said, I'm going to take a photo of that. And the, the cell phones that we have these days just have incredible cameras. And uh, he took a photo of the stars. And when we enlarged it, and we had no idea, when you enlarge it, you get to see the incredible detail of just the, the, the population of stars and how incredibly dense it is. Uh, so there's something for the, for the listeners to do. On a nice, clear night when the, uh, when the moon is not bright and you can see the stars a little better, go out and take a phone with your device and then, and then zoom in on that, uh, on that photo and just see how incredibly dense the population of stars is. Oh, Jono, since you mentioned that, we're coming up on a new italic moon mm-hmm. on Saturday. First day of mm-hmm. the seventh month. They, that's right. So here we are reading it. And so they could probably do this if it's clear cloud-wise. Uh, let's see. We're recording this on Wednesday, on Thursday, uh, or even Friday, because it's the sighting of that crescent that marks the, the day. Or you know, you the first day of the, of the moon. So you're actually talking perfect about something timing. They, they could they could do tonight and tomorrow. Perfect, night. perfect timing. You have and the and dark, listen, share the one dark day. Share your photos on the. Uh, you could share it on on uh, Truth to You Study Group on the Truth to You page on the uh, United Israel Group or or the page. Just put it on Facebook for us and tag us even, and that would be great. Also, love to uh, to see your comments, dear listeners. Uh, take a photo of the book when it arrives and let us know that it, that it arrived. And uh, by all means, go on to Amazon and leave a review uh, and a five-star review of this wonderful book, the TEB, the book of Genesis. That is all we have time for today. Any parting comments, James? Yeah, I wanted to just say, since we're going to go through what's called Rosh Hashanah, notice these uh, signs in the heavens are for days and uh, uh, for appointed times, days, and years that uh, the rabbis discuss and scholars discuss uh, until the modern world when they gave this up as mythology. Was this the first month or was it the seventh month? And there's a big debate in the Talmud because, you know, we say Rosh Hashanah, head of the year. That's head of one particular understanding of the year, the civil year, that certain things are calculated from. But you also and you blow the trumpet, but also you've got the first of the first month in the spring. And so they have a big discussion about that. I don't think it can be solved by this text, but it's just interesting that we're coming up mm. on one of the birthdays. Now, here we are reading Genesis 1 14, and uh, the opinion of some of the rabbis is that's what we call the birthday of the world. And others would say, no, that would be coming up, what, in March or April? I haven't looked ahead, but Mm -hmm. 14 days before Passover. Either way, I love that a lot of our listeners, whether they keep the feast or not, or observe the feast or mark them or even aware of them, I think many are aware of them. And isn't this verse interesting as we close that here we are, However many thousands, millions, Mm. billions of years later, take your pick. And we're talking still about the days, the months, the seasons, and the years. And I want to wish everybody a good season as we begin this seventh month. Yeah, yeah. Good one. Ross, final thoughts? Yes. Along the same lines, Jonah, because of these uh, appointed times, uh, I love the way that James translates this in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. 
The Hebrew root word there is moed. Literally, it means an appointment. And so if if our listeners would like, they can go to Leviticus 23. And in, in the first couple of verses, uh, it's where Jehovah or Yahweh, yod heh vav uh, is declaring that these are my appointments, moed. And then you can scroll through as you read through Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, 4 talks about the Moedei, um, again, uh, the appointments. But then just quickly, Leviticus 23, 23 is interesting because this is the Moed. This is the appointment that we are approaching biblically. Uh, it says, and Jehovah spoke to Moses saying, uh, speak to the children of Israel saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month you shall observe a day of solemn rest and so forth a day of blasting it's very interesting that we are approaching this moed at this time and I would encourage people to really really look at this it's interesting that this moed is the only festival as we translate it into English the only appointment that occurs on the first day of any new. So you don't know when this day is until you walk out into this open expanse and you're searching for that thin crescent because the seventh new, notice how I said seventh new and not new moon, but the seventh new, as soon as you see it, you declare this is the first day of the seventh month, and therefore it's Yom Teruah, the day of the blast. So I hope that everyone has a wonderful day are of you the gonna blast. Have a blast. Are you going to have a blast on that day for us? I bet you are. Absolutely. And yeah, are you absolutely. going to put an article up, I bet you are, right. uh, on unitedisrael.org? about the day of the blast that's right it's up now it's ready for people to look at now and i'll post it again i'll post it again yeah so that's unitedisrael.org jamestabor.com for all his web pages books and projects and the article uh that he was referencing earlier in this program that's the show for this week dear listeners we'll be back this time next week and until then have an excellent yom throughout